Beatport presents. Beatport presents. Beatport presents. Beatport presents. Decoding the music industry. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Beatport offices here in London. It's lovely to see so many faces. Thank you for joining us. Today, we're going to be embarking on an insightful journey around marketing and music promotion, sorry. And uh, basically going everything from social media to PR to radio and all of the lovely stuff in between. Uh, I'm Emily Burks. I'm the Vice President of Marketing at the Beatport Group. And I am joined today by a fantastic panel, and I'm going to allow them to intro themselves. So, Linda, shall we start with you? Hi, everyone. I'm Linda Phoenix. I work at Beatports, and I work for the Music Services Division. So we create um, a suite of services to help nurture artists. Um, I particularly look after Hype. I think some of you might know Beatport Hype, Label Radar, and Amp Suite. But we'll go into a little bit more detail about those services as we talk. Hi, uh, I'm Ali, and I am a senior publicist at Listen Up. Uh, we're a promotions agency which look after radio, press, club and streaming. I head up the press department and work across the electronic uh, music side of things. So my main clients are Luna, Jamie Jones, Scream, uh, Circle Loca Records and Dynamic. And I guess you'll find out more about what I do in due course. Hello, hello. Um, I'm Jay. I'm head of national radio um at independent promotions company called your army um we've been running for about 15 years now um in terms of how we work we we do radio club um tv promotions as well uh, and the artists that we kind of work with as well are including everyone from bicep to dave to christine and the queen's disclosure um my personal roster includes jada g you vicar lf system patrick topin and focus and, and many more it's amazing. Thank you. Um, just for interest, how many of you in the audience are artists, just by a show of hands? How many of you work for a label, just by a show of hands? Oh, okay. Quite a few of you. How many of you work in marketing? Okay, interesting. Thank you for sharing. Well, today we're going to be talking about cutting through the noise and how artists um, or even labels can use different techniques and strategies to be able to be seen to different audiences. And we're going to take you on a bit of a journey. Um, there is methodology to our madness, and you'll see as we get towards the end. Um, but first, we're going to probably start with some research. So my question to you all is, why do you think it's so important for artists or label or anyone in marketing to do research before they embark on any sort of activity? Linda? Yeah, so it bases the foundation of every marketing plan and every marketing strategy for for doing a lot of research. So it could be if you're an artist that just really wants to refine your brands and you really want to understand a little bit more about how to visually represent yourself, the content you want to put out, it all starts with research. And that research can be looking at other artists that are like yourself. It can be observing yourself also as a consumer. How do you discover music? How do you discover artists? How do you um, interact and engage with content on social media? Because a lot of the time when we all work in the industry we, we, we're in, it's all like eyes down and you can be so insular 
that you actually need really need to kind of think actually how how did I discover that artist how did I get to play that playlist and if you actually really observe yourself as a consumer that's the best kind of research that you can do because you're actually putting yourself as your target market and sort of reversing what you're doing. The second type of research that I would recommend is um, looking for opportunities. So those opportunities exist to tap into other networks. It can be like, for instance, at Beatport, we have two opportunities for um, social media campaigns and one's Drop of the Week and one's Studio Jam. So you can, you know, anyone can submit a video to be considered for that. And it's a great feature. So what I would do is go and speak with the DSPs or your distributor and find out what these opportunities are. You know, it's not just the send your pitch form, hope you're going to get placement, you know, what other things are there. You can get some great social media love from DSPs, social media channels, um, but just get that as your asset list, research, and then you've just got this whole list of actually, yeah, you know, I can do a guest mix for this. I can maybe, you know, uh, pitch in to be a guest on a podcast. And so you've just kind of got this game plan by just doing two, two simple types of research and then when you're formulating your marketing plan, you can sort of tap into that and go, right, I'm going to definitely get that video of, you know, my artist dropping that track and make sure we get some great video content. And we're going to submit that to Beatport editorial. So you're really like ahead of the game. Yeah. And I think when we were talking, we were talking about some of these uh, questions uh, beforehand. And um, I think that's really interesting to approach in multiple different ways. Um and I think there was something interesting that Ali said before about PR and how people don't necessarily know all of the different ways in which they can, an artist can PR themselves. Um, would you be able to explain a little bit about the research an artist should do when it comes to PR? Yeah. Um, so research, I think, is really integral in building and executing a successful strategy and campaign. There are so many different ways in PR that you can promote yourself like people just think it's just interviews and Q&As but there's like podcasts production tutorials if you're a producer mixes playlists photo diaries behind the scenes content like visuals are so important like first impressions are everything so like how you look aesthetically on socials and this um and like how you interact with your consumers on socials so like you know, when you're doing this research, you obviously have like different inspirations to different artists and see what everyone else is doing. Obviously, you want to kind of differentiate yourself from your competitors, but it's also a great way to get ideas on how to build your brand and your persona. Yeah, and I think equally with you, Jay, as well, when it comes to radio, there's lots of different avenues people can explore, right? Yeah, completely. I mean, like, as we just said there, the research is like, a vital thing to be doing because you, if you're reaching out to radio producers or radio DJs, they've got to be the right ones that are going to be playing your type of music. It's got to be relevant. So I think um, having a bit of a hit list of uh, targets or people that you want to be playing your music first before you've even started sending any music out can be, yeah, can be really key. And yeah, kind of having a look, say like, is it a Friday night Radio 1 kind of tune? Is it something for Six Music? Is it more for Kiss? having a bit of an awareness of this when you go into the market and, and start plugging yeah is really key I think it's interesting what you all said there because all of you have said the importance of research and you've also almost tied it to the artist or whoever's building these these marketing plans 
almost to an objective. So it's, you know, who do you want to target from radio? Where do you see yourself in, you know, a, a few years or months time? And, and where would you want to go and distribute? And I think, you know, when you're thinking about objectives, how do you then tie that into a strategy? So when you think about your different areas, um, how important is that strategy piece? And what are the key components that need to be in there? So when you're thinking about your objective, I mean, you want to see, well, am I just wanting to build myself up as an artist? Or if you're promoting an artist, like where do I want them to be? Where do I want them to uh, raise their profile? Is it Spotify? Is it general? Is it to increase their social media following so that you can increase the fan base? Because a lot of the time, if you don't have a strong objective, it's really difficult to ever measure where you're going to get. So I would say... For instance, if you're wanting to increase sales of your release, you've almost got to take a step back and go, actually, let's have a look at the artist's presence here. Like, how many monthly listens have, are they having at the moment on Spotify? Like, how many features have they had on DSPs? Do we ever, you know, submit DJ charts in? What are we doing to actually just increase the overall awareness of the artist? So you almost need to have a longer-term plan running for, like, three or four months that you're really reaching your like overall increasing your online presence objective and those metrics can be increasing your monthly listens on Spotify it can be increasing your engagement on um, your content on Instagram if Instagram's a big focus for you or generally across your social media channels and then having a look eventually taking the next step to see what those conversions could be for people clicking through to DSP links for instance but a lot of the time those short campaigns that you just fire out, which a lot of labels do um, and a lot of artists do, what I call kind of panic marketing campaigns, which I think, yeah, everyone's nodding. I think everyone's done a few of those before when you throw like $500 at your release and just go, right, let's boost some posts. Let's try and get the sales up. Um, actually, if you think all of those $500 that you've spent, you could actually do a really impactful campaign like for three months that's building up that artist presence because we all know about the algorithms on Spotify. You know, it, we've got to have that slow burn to see that that artist is actually getting more and more monthly listens. And it, it doesn't matter about like uh, being at a low start point. It's about seeing what the appetite is for the artist. So that slow build, that slow build. And that can be a really like solid, slow burn three-month campaign. And then you've just got these impactful release um, uh, promotion plans that you're going to put in place on that. So I would always say, take a step back. Sometimes what you think your, your objective is, you actually need to take one step back and go, actually, what's the long-term plan here? And set those metrics and have almost like two of them running at the same time. And I think there's some interesting things that you said there in terms of setting those objectives. And, and all of you have also mentioned um, the importance of the artist, you know, having those connections or, or almost their brand imagery, right? How important is brand imagery from a PR perspective or, or artist brand in general? I always say to clients and um, potential clients, press isn't overnight. Like it takes some time to grow, uh, you know, they come to me and they say, we want DJ Mag, Mix Mag, RA. And like those are, it, it take, it's a growing process and it's um, characterizing your brand through the campaign. Um, so I always say like, it's important to align yourself with brands and platforms that resonate with your persona and the character you're trying to build within music, but also be selective with what you're doing, um, 
promote that on your social media and yeah just work with people that you feel like resonate with your personality over numbers or who's got the highest hits because sometimes it's not it's not something that's as effective as you think yeah and I think Jay we we were also talking about this as well um about how building that that narrative but also building those connections with people is so important um how how would a, a an artist approach that when it when it comes to their track being played for example on on a on a show yeah so I mean a lot of the time before it even goes to radio a lot of tracks will start in um in the clubs for especially dance music where it's supposed to be played first um and so what we say to a lot of people before you even start thinking about radio it's starting a DJ promo campaign, get people playing it, get the um, videos. You never know where those kind of connections to the people that are already playing it will lead to. So you might end up in the studio with them. You might They might know someone who's a great vocalist that they should be in the studio with as well. So we always say, yeah, kind of if it's the right record for, for the clubs, put it there first, let the story build way before it's out, maybe even like even two months to like the top kind of people make sure everyone's playing it and then you can come to radio with an even more kind of compelling story to um yeah rise above the noise (laughs) i love that that. break the noise um yeah so i think so we've gone on a really interesting journey so far we've talked about research the importance of it we've talked about how you know some elements of that research could potentially be pulled into objectives or or finding those objectives long-term ones um, and really kind of starting to tease out the idea of brand and strategy and how you start to compose this bigger marketing plan and, and what does that look like. And so I guess my kind of next question is um, looking at trends. So we obviously all know there's lots of trends in the music industry um, or in any industry, to be fair. Um how do you all stay up to date with the different trends or how do you, how should an artist stay up to date with different trends seeing as there is constant you know noise around in, in on our devices when we're walking around outside what is your what is your approach to that so if you're an artist that's quite hands-on and putting their own content out on social media um, and sort of executing your own campaigns obviously looking at what's impactful. So if you look at your content and you can see a change in the type of content you're putting out that's that's getting more engagement because right now, Reels, it's all about Reels. It's all about, you know, video content on Instagram, um, short video, compelling content. And it's all short, snackable content that can get people's attention really quickly. So you should really be kind of keeping an eye if you can, even monthly, just have a look at your content and just see and test and learn. Don't be afraid to test and learn. You know, there's not one format. There's not one template. It's one, not a magical list that I can give you that will work forever. You know, what's working now might not work in a couple of months time. Uh, so have a look, see, test and learn. Don't be afraid to put out something a little bit different and just see what, you know, uh, if you get good engagement with it. So that's how I would kind of go. It's a kind of natural gut reaction then if you're really involved with your content, you're putting it out there. But if you're maybe like one step away and you, you're lucky enough to have someone doing your social media for you and you're not seeing all of the, you know, all the content and you're seeing all the engagement or you're not monitoring it, definitely just read some really good like tech blogs out there. 
you know, the future trends, uh, you know, you, there's so much insightful articles out there that will kind of give you some tidbits. A lot of the time you can see with like product updates with social media, for instance, where things are going and where things are dropping out. Like, you know, the whole thing on vanity metrics, it was always about as, as many followers as you can get now. And now it's all more about the engagement. So things just are organically changing. So to sort of stay abreast of it, yeah, either be really hands-on with it, look at your metrics, or just read some really good, insightful tech blogs. Yeah, just to add, I guess, with um, with actual musical trends, um, I think being involved in the culture, if you're uh, into a specific type of music, go to the gigs, go to the shows, you'll be able to hear for yourself like what type of tunes that they're playing. That's, for me, is like the easiest way to keep on top of trends, see where the music's moving, because you might have a DJ that used to play a certain type of music, you go and see them, they're now kind of moved on or they're transforming you can hear the the sound developing um so yeah keep on to it <laughs> yeah i agree i mean to be honest most of my where i get my music news from or where i see about new trends coming up is from social media mainly twitter so fast moving um instagram tiktok insta reels like it's all very like beneficial to seeing like what's happening in the industry because Trends are so fast moving. Digital media as well, podcasts, um, news articles, you know, like anything you can see online. But yeah, similar to what Jay said, like in-person stuff, like even when you're chatting to people at events, festivals, gigs, like people in the industry, even like things like these, you'll find out stuff that you wouldn't have known before really. Because like, you know, during the pandemic, it's so easy just to get stuck working from home mentality and not actually connect with people. Uh, and yeah, definitely would support it, the real life stuff. Yeah, I think it's interesting how you all like approach that in a very different way, but it, it, it's kind of telling like your own story a little bit. Um, I, I find for, for me, when I look for trends, I live on TikTok. I swear, I just five hours a night, I'm like, how did this happen? Um, and how is it 3am? Um, and I don't know if any of you all saw the the TikTok trend that was the lady saying, what do DJs actually do? And <laughs> I mean, I think I saw maybe a million of those different like ways in which they've done that. So um, yeah, that, that was really interesting for me. Also to see how different people approached, even, even though that started off as a, as a it didn't even start off as a trend. She made it into a trend, right? And then seeing how different people remix that, it was so interesting for me to see all the different approaches to it with different types of music as well. Um, so, so yeah, so I, I really think that, um, you know, trends, whether it's looking in the industry or whether it's creatively looking for trends and how do you bounce off of that, um, some of the things I've also heard about trends is people say, well, I don't want to follow a trend. I want to be unique. I want to be myself, which is great. But sometimes with trends, that's what helps with your visibility. So it's also having that balance between not being on the trend, every single trend, but it's also about looking for those ones which make sense for you as a brand and how you can then bring your uniqueness to that trend. So I think that that for me is like from a from a creative, I guess, brand kind of side. That's what I would think. So moving on, when we come to like the distribution side. So when we start to think about, you've all mentioned social media, you've all mentioned like different ways in which people can connect with their audiences. Is there a particular platform that you all think that's where you should definitely be? That's where you need to be communicating with your audience. Um, and if there is, how should 
an artist connect? Is it, you know, messaging? Is it imagery? Is it inviting them to gigs? Like, what does that look like in all of your different spaces? So I think you should be using a platform or at least two platforms that you enjoy using. There's nothing worse than being on a social media platform, for instance, that just feels like you don't even enjoy being on it. That's if you're obviously activating your own social media campaigns. I think that's the first thing. And I think as well, don't spread yourself too widely. You know, a lot of people think I need to have a YouTube playlist. I need to be on Twitter. I need to do this, this and this. And what often happens is that you end up just auto-updating your social media feeds with like one post that just gets auto shared across, which isn't particularly engaging um, for your fan base. So I would really think about the channel that you feel most connected with, that you engage. I mean, remember the things with with communicating with your with your fan base is it's a two way thing. It isn't just a one way feed of all your content. Buy now, pre orders. Look at me playing at this gig. It's like how are you communicating back? So make sure that you're on a platform where you're being social because that's the whole thing of social media. People kind of forget the the one way back that you should be engaging and not just with your fan base, with other people from the industry and being supportive and collaborative with other people from the industry. That's how you will have like collab posts, for instance, tapping into other people's networks and building your community up. So if that's meaningful for you, then, you know, Instagram would work really well for you. If you're great with video content and you love being on TikTok, TikTok's great for you. But don't put, you know, everything in one channel because, you know, you don't want a MySpace situation where, (laughs) you know, the channel just kind of platform ends and you've kind of put all your eggs in one basket. So I would definitely have like a, you know, a core social media channel and then one that you're building up. And then maybe another one that you're kind of focused on eventually expanding onto. So that could be right. Okay. You know what? I want my advertising campaigns to move into like YouTube pre-rolls. So that would then allude to then like looking at your YouTube channel and setting up, you know, your YouTube space. So it's really, you know, it's got some great playlists. It's got some great video content. You don't have to go crazy. This isn't about like, you know, suddenly having like 10 great videos on there. But just always have a think about, I'd say, at least two platforms that really resonate with you and one that you're kind of growing as well in the background. Yeah, no, I I would agree. And I think as an add-on to that, one of the things I see as being really important is this balance between having social media, but also owning your own connections. So having your own website, making sure that you're capturing your, you know, the data from your customers or or your fans, let's say, so that you can connect with them and talk to them and you're not having to work with an algorithm or pay a fee to Instagram, you know. So one of the most effective marketing techniques is email marketing and, you know, because, you know, yeah, you can talk to them and and also get feedback from them, you know, ask them, what do you want to see? What do you want to hear? Do you want to see me in this place? Do you want me to gig here? Um, so yeah, I, I find, I find that, um, as being incredibly, uh, incredibly important and effective as well. And, you know, that, that also leads me on to kind of thinking about, um, advertising and media spent. And I know Ali, we discussed about this difference between paid PR and free PR. Can you just give us a little bit of a dive into that? Um, so there are quite a lot of, uh, magazines now, like print magazines that only charge for, um, interviews or inter- or shoots, that kind of thing. And obviously when you engage with a PR, you pay a fee and there's the misconception that they will automatically get you coverage and 
certain platforms or magazines. But then there are some places like Wonderland or Hunger, um, mainly like the fashion lifestyle places that will charge, which covers their shoot costs, their production costs, because it costs a lot of money to print magazines regularly. Um, and it also depends on the level of artist you are as well. So there are, there are some um, magazines or platforms that won't charge, but it's mainly when there are production costs involved, then they will like charge X amount. But I mean, it, it is case by case basis, to be honest. So yeah, I guess I would just like make sure you're completely aligned with your publicist or with your team around you, that you you know what they're putting you forward for and not to get any like costs um, lost in translation, really. Yeah, no, that's great. And I think when when we're thinking about costs, it, it almost comes back to that strategy piece, right? It's like making sure that part of your strategy is how much money you're going to use for this year and how much you're going to invest, not just your time, but also from a, like a monetary perspective as well. Um, Jay, when we talk about like thinking about what does success look like, um, especially in your world, how do you define measurements um, or, or how do you measure success? I'd say it completely depends on the artist, um, what the expectations are of the, well, the artist themselves, the manager, the label, um, and how far you think the song can go. And I think what we do um, as a radio plugger, you generally try to set the expectations of, of how far you think it can go. Obviously, you want it as far, you want it to go as far as possible, um, but there does need to be a, kind of a limit to that. So I think... For some people, it could be for like a breaking through artist. It could be that one play on BBC Introducing on the local counties. For other people, it could be BBC Introducing on Radio 1. For other people, it could be a hottish record, then kind of leading on to playlist and, and other kind of bits. But yeah, I think um, it completely, yeah, it does completely depend on who the artist is um, and, and what they want to do with the record. Do you have an example of a campaign that uh, has exceeded your expectations? <laughs> um yeah, so I worked a single uh, last summer from uh, a, a Scottish duo called LF System. Um, they had a song called Afraid to Feel, but we'd um, we'd basically been working with them for, I think, two years before for, throughout Your Army. Um, so they came in, um, they didn't have a label at this point. Uh, they came in through, again, through our DJ promo uh, team. They sent out uh, basically a sampler all for yeah just getting out to all the best djs quite a few of them got on board with it there was lots of videos of um a few of the tracks getting played then they get signed to a major label which was warner at the time um so that's where i came on board um before that though they had already had a couple of spot plays from um like all the friday night shows and they'd already kind of had a little paved their way um and then yeah i came on board um the first single that we did um was called dancing cliche had a hottest record and, and that one got to playlist. Um, in that time, we also built them so that they were going to be playing at Radio 1's Big Weekend for the first time. Um, and because we built them up to that stage, um, they were basically doing a Big Weekend special on a, on a Monday night with um, with uh, Future Sounds, which is Clara Amfo's show. Um, so they were able to let us do a hottest record with their single, which was called Afraid to Feel. Um, and then, yeah, basically a month after that, it kind of went wild got it onto um yeah onto a list on radio one capital kiss all, all the rest of them um and yeah they ended up having a, a number one hit for like nine weeks i think it's that double platinum wow that's amazing <laughs> yeah congratulations um, yeah to that. i mean that that's yeah 
that's not normal, but it's, it's always good. <laughs> yeah, just to reiterate, that's yeah. not a normal <laughs> a path to radio and success in that sense. But that was a. So, at what point in their journey were they? Was it their first single, or was it? Second, had they been building that for? So a while? it was their second official single on Warner. They'd done one other track on a on a club label called uh, Part Four, um, and then a lot of the singles that they'd been doing before, kind of putting themselves out. Um, and yeah, again, just growing their fan base, growing those connections. They had, I think it was people like Patrick Topping and Ewan McVicker were all playing up in Scotland. We're all, yeah, playing the record a long time before it came, but basically like two years because Afraid to Feel was on the sampler that was two years ago. And then it came out after, yeah, loads of people were already being very much on board for it. It's incredible. And I mean, Linda, we were talking earlier as well about your time at Defected and how you used to bring people together in these small these small kind of pubs to kind of connect with audiences can you tell us a little bit about those kind of campaigns yeah I mean I think apparently it's still going on now horse and groom um yeah so when in my time it's affected um we used to put on really like sort of up close and personal gigs as part of a overall kind of storytelling narrative I mean one thing Defected does really well is tell a great story around their artists around their releases and I think it's a real takeaway um, for you as an artist to really think about what your narrative is. So there's like two sort of narratives you should be really thinking about. It's like your overall story. What is your story? And it isn't just, as I say, like a bio. It's really about, you know, you as an artist, how you've got to where you've got to, what your struggles are, you know, where, what countries you've been to, what's inspired you, and really think about your uh, sort of artist narrative. And then there's your shorter narratives, which is around, you know, why you've done this release, why you're touring, why you're doing a gig. And the, the great thing when I was working at Defected, we used to put these small events on, um, and we did one with um, Austin Lade. Do you still work with Austin Lade? Yeah, <laughs> maybe not. But um, but anyway, Austin Lade, he had a great narrative, um, and he basically had a sensitivity to electricity which as a producer that's pretty tough right if you're going to be in a studio and so he used to take himself off for six months of the year in a cave house in Santorini with no electricity and just creatively get some space from producing and then he came up with a great album and one of the tracks was electrosensitivity so we you know we obviously caught onto that narrative and then he did a kind of up close and personal gig in the pub opposite uh, the defected offices. And, you know, we did competitions for fans to come and get that place there. We had a load of industry heads. And it was just a great, it was a great solid campaign that really brought his story out. So I would say definitely your sort of storytelling and your compelling narrative around your releases and around yourself as an artist is really important. Yeah, and I think the the key thing that I heard there is like how authentic it was, you know, him him kind of bringing out his real life experiences and sharing it the world. So I love that. Um, can I open the floor for questions? If there are oh, some people across their arms, no questions over. <laughs> you got a question here for say a newer artist who is still figuring out uh, their sounds. How important do you think it is? for them to be able to fit in into a particular kind of sound or a genre? And how do you do it? Like if you're still figuring out your sound? I mean, I don't think there's any set way to, like you don't need to confine yourself to a certain sound. Like, you know, when Scream was first starting out, he obviously revolutionized the dubstep era, but now he plays house, techno, disco, tech house. He actually hates to talk about dubstep or play dubstep. So like, 
you know, you don't have to confine yourself into a box. I think just like go with what you feels right and what you vibe to and what you like. And then it's just a progress. Like, you might, you know, you might play a certain sound now, but it might evolve into something else or it could be a bit of both. Like, you know, you, you never know what can turn out to. Yeah, I would echo that as well. And I think um, music comes from a deep sense of self-expression. So it's about making sure that you connect with your sound. It almost doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It's about how do you authentically express yourself through music? And, you know, maybe it doesn't connect straight away and maybe you evolve that over time. But if you're, as, as Ali said, if you're vibing with it and if it's something that makes you happy and it's bringing you joy, then surely that will spread in some sort of way, whether that's, you know, growing that your, your skill sets in specific areas or whether it's perhaps like testing it out. But I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm like, expression is, is, is beautiful. It's art. So keep doing that. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. And also say that um, from like a radio standpoint, not every track needs to be a radio tune. Um, you, you can literally go in every other direction and find the, what's right for you and find what's right for the artist and um, allocate the budget in the best areas for that particular song um, to find the champions that you need first. Do we have any other questions from the audience? Hi, thanks for the nice talk. Um might be just a general question for the panel uh, in terms of how the different channels have maybe shifted in their effectiveness or focus because I feel like a lot of things have changed over the last few years and uh, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts about like yeah how that's changed. Um, from a press standpoint something I've seen like since the pandemic's happened like Obviously, print press is still really valuable, but now everything's pretty much um, moved over to digital. Like, it's something that's instant, a lot more consuming. Like, um, you know, like video stuff, like live live Q and A's, like Instagram takeovers, behind the scenes content, podcasts. It's it's something that people look for now. That's kind of like instant, rather than like, you know, when was the last time you went and bought a magazine? You know that kind of stuff is quite valuable as a kind of, I guess, trophy type thing. But I think having like digital content, um, something that's more accessible is much more important. And it also allows uh, your fan base to interact with the artist and get to know them on a personal level. Yeah, I think radio is definitely like part of the wheel. Um, we turn everything. And I think with radio, it's a lot about the personal touch. It's someone literally telling you in your ear, this is the tune that you need to listen to. Um, there was a stat that was uh, 50 million people in Q, uh, 50 million people in every week in Q3 of last year um, listened to the radio. Um, so there's a massive, massive audience for you to be kind of reaching to um, like straight away, basically. It's a, it's a massive audience and can have someone literally telling you in the ear that this, this is the tune, this is the artist that you need to look out for that you might not have heard them say before. So I would say what I've seen change is the stuff that you can't see. So it's those DMs that get sent. It's the stuff that drops in people's inboxes. And I think, you know, the whole thing with 
being very out there with your communication. There's a certain amount of, you know, communication and social media content that everyone sees and engages with. But actually, there's a lot that goes on behind the scene and, at you know, your sort of strategy with communicating with your fan base and making it feel more and more personal and I think that's where things are kind of going a bit more that it's actually not just all the functionality that you can see on a lot of these platforms it's how you can engage one-to-one um so that's where I sort of think things are probably heading the sort of more personalization and the sort of the direct dms yeah I would absolutely agree with that I think also as well it's about who your audience is and why they use the platform So you don't want to be doing, you know, business or or business communications on TikTok necessarily, right? Um, But you want to be thinking about, okay, I want to be talking, if you wanted to be talking to an audience in Japan, then you'd probably want to be looking at channels such as Line or WeChat. Uh, If you're wanting to talk to I don't know, young, the younger generation in a creative mindset that you want to be thinking about TikTok. If you want to be just talking to people in real terms, then it's like, okay, well, it's X or it's threads, right? So it's really trying to understand the audience that you want to talk to, where they are, and what is native to that platform. Because if you start creating content, and I think Linda mentioned this before, you create content from one platform and expect it to go across everything and, and have the same impact, then that's just not going to work. So you have to really consider, you know, the mindset of people when they're in X mode or thread mode or Instagram mode or LinkedIn mode, right? You have to think, are they looking for content that's going to help them increase their career or are they looking for entertainment? So that when you're thinking about your content strategy up in the the kind of conversations we were having earlier when we're talking about strategy, it's what content do you create? Why do you use those platforms? Which audience do you want to engage with? And, you know, making sure that you're checking your your metrics or your measurements against those objectives that you've set. And I think that nicely kind of starts to round off our chat today. Um, just so that you're all aware, we kind of took you through a journey, which is called the SOSTAC methodology. It's actually a marketing technique um, that a lot of marketers use. Um, you start with situation, which is research, then you go down to objectives, which is the O bit. Uh, S is strategy. So you start to talk about strategy, tactics. So we talked about tactics, um, and then the action of how you then build those plans, media buying, advertising. And then the final one, which is C, which is control. So how do you measure it? How do you know what success looks like? So Maybe some of you picked up on that, but <laughs> hopefully you all go away and research the SOSTAC methodology. Um, it's a great framework to use. But thank you, everybody, for joining us today. And thank you to our panelists. If we can get a round of applause for their time today. <laughs> Have a lovely evening, everyone. Enjoy the drinks. Uh, and yeah, we'll get some music playing. Beatport presents. Beatport presents. Beatport presents. Beatport presents. Decoding the music industry.